Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Well, hello and welcome back to Ayers on the Road. We're always so excited to talk to you and we are right now in late summer, well, August, finally. We made it through July. <laughs> a little smoky along the mountains of Utah because of all the fires in Oregon, but we're getting through it okay. And one reason we love the podcast every week is it kind of helps us catch our breath and keep track of our crazy lives. We've got a lot of kids around us these days. Linda, what do you think? Do you think being around young children keeps you young? Or do you think being around a lot of young children makes you age? (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, both of those. (laughs) But it is amazing that we are suddenly, suddenly our children are moving back to Utah. It's amazing. We've got five here now after having just one um, for many, many, many years. So it really is amazing. Incredible. And we're going to tell you a little about how we ended up moving back to Utah from our home in Washington, D.C. But it is interesting, honey, that we've got, you know, our youngest son lived in New York City and he's relocating to Provo. And our youngest daughter lived in London and she's relocating to Provo. (laughs) And our other son lived in uh, L.A. and he has relocated to Provo. And they're going to live each a mile from each other, and we're going to be able to just drive past the backside of Mount Timpanogos and see them whenever we feel like it. Who knew that would ever be possible? It is incredible. We are loving it. We're loving it. But now we've got kind of, it's our three youngest children, so we've got a crew of little kids now that is just so fun. They're so delightful. We have six, five, four two nine-month-olds, and a baby. And so it really is a whole different world than the teenagers we've been living with in Utah previously. When I got up this morning, a little later than you, which is rare, I usually get up first, but I looked downstairs, and there you were sitting with little Etta, our three-year-old, reading a storybook, and just kind of warmed the cockles of my heart. That's so great. They are so adorable. Oh, my goodness. We are having so much fun, but we are also tired. (laughs) That's true. And we're headed to the zoo today, and we're going to be more tired. With those five little ones, yes. And we are going to be more tired. But um, but it's just such a joy to watch them grow. And and I have to say, at least they're not next door, but I shouldn't say that. But, you know, we we do have a little space here. And it really has been fun. Although we've had two um, two months of living with this sweet family from New York City, then Hawaii, and now back here. So we are in heaven. You may hear some of the kids running around downstairs. That'll be an interesting ambient audio that may come in. Also, it sounds like somebody's backing up a truck somewhere. <laughs> but we're going to carry on, and we're going to get into something really wonderful about how we ended up relocating to Utah. I want to tell you a little story. We want to tell you a little story about Neil A. Maxwell. And the fact is, he's the reason we live in Utah now. That's a pretty interesting thing. I want to tell you a little little about this really wonderful 
test he gave called Accord of Our Hearts to Classic. But here's the story in a nutshell. Just chip in, Linda, because I may get part of it wrong, but um, I'll get the basics right. We were living in Washington, D.C. We were happy in McLean, Virginia, the suburbs. And I had two partners that did me. Just a few years out of graduate school, we loved, I mean, we really did love. And, and by the way, consequently, consequently, we've been back three different times to live there. That's how much we love the water. And they're getting along fine. Stay forever. And then we, we found out that this wonderful man who had been kind of a mentor to me in my younger years uh, he was the commissioner, Utah Commissioner of Education at the time, Neil Maxwell. And we we found out that he was contemplating a run, a campaign for the United States Senate. And that excited us, didn't it, Linda? Yeah, that was really wonderful. It was a, a real opt- really optimistic um, plan. Well, the thing is, I had worked in the in the U.S. Senate as an intern and and as an aide, and I and in those days, I just I, I'm not going to say how I feel about the Senate today, but in those days, I loved the United States Senate. There were giants uh, on the floor of the Senate, including Everett Dirksen, who I thought was the most amazing orator I'd ever heard, and. And there were a lot of moderates there who were compromisers. They could get things done. It wasn't nearly as polarized as it is today. Anyway, we we found out that uh, you know the the current senator was retiring, and and uh, Neil Maxwell was contemplating running for the Senate. I got so excited about that because the company that I was a partner in, that was a consulting company specialized in political campaigns and we had we had written campaigns plans for the likes of Senator Edward Brooke in Massachusetts and Chuck Percy in Illinois and Mac Mathias in Maryland. These were these wonderful moderates who I thought were such great men. And so I was excited about the possibility of trying to help Neil Maxwell become the next U.S. Senator from Utah. So we were corresponding with him about this, and he was trying to decide whether he should make this run. And what do you think I thought about whether he should do it? <laughs> <laughs> you were so excited. Where you know, not many people knew about it at the time, but it was such a thrill to think about such a man of honor and wisdom being in the United States Senate. Really exciting. And such an orator. I thought, well... Everett Dirksen will no longer be the greatest speaker in the Senate when yeah, Neil Maxwell true. gets there. So I proceeded to write a kind of a campaign plan for, in those days, Mr. Maxwell, Dr. Maxwell. And he was, I thought, maybe just because I was so optimistic and hopeful, I thought he was going to run. And then we got a call one day, and he said, Richard, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to run. And I was disappointed, and he, he didn't offer too much of an explanation, but he essentially <laughs> implied that he had talked to some of our church's leaders, and they had suggested that maybe 
God might have something else in mind for him. <laughs> so I was disappointed, but what could I say, right? right. Well, now you may be saying, well, how, what does this have to do with moving to Utah and so on? Well, what happened was interesting. Um, a couple of weeks later, I got a call from a guy I didn't know at all. I, I knew he was the mayor of Salt Lake. That was all I knew, a guy named Jake Garn. And he said the most interesting thing to me. He said, Richard, I've been reading the plan that you prepared for Neil Maxwell as a possible candidate for the Senate. And as you know, he's not going to run, but I really like some of your ideas. Would you consider planning and managing my campaign for the U.S. Senate? And I was a little taken aback because, like I said, I didn't even know him. But I went, flew to Salt Lake and met with him, and I, I really liked him. I thought he was the—this was in the Watergate era. Remember that, Linda? That'll test the memory of some of our listeners. Nixon was being impeached for the Watergate incident, and— um, Oh, I forgot that. And, and people, people were highly distrustful of politicians— and when I met this Jake Garner, I thought, this guy is, looks like a non-politician. He's not flashy or, 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 you know, he just looks like the guy next door. He's bald. That's a good thing. <laughs> he, he's not what you'd call a charismatic candidate. But for this year, when people are so distrustful of politicians, he might be just right. And he was running against Wayne Owens, a Democrat who had been on the Watergate committee and had a lot of publicity because of that. And so anyway, make a long story short, we decided, what the heck, let's move to Utah. Let's take a year's leave of absence from our company. Move to Utah. And not only, we usually just planned campaigns in, in that company, but I said, let's, let's move to Utah for a year, be back by our relatives uh, Linda's parents, your parents were getting a little older. Yes. We thought, what a great chance to be back in Utah for a year. We'll manage that campaign, and then we'll return back to Washington. So we did. We moved to Utah. That was our move. We did, and it was an interesting, and we had not lived in Utah since we were married, really, yeah. um, much. And so it was really delightful to be here. And going back to the first, now we're collecting kids like a magnet. Anyway, going on. <laughs> so that that's how Neil Maxwell was really the reason that we came to Utah. By the way, to, just to finish the story, we did manage Jake's campaign, and he did win. And it put us in a position where we had a lot of contacts, and we got some credit for that campaign victory. And... We were getting ready to run for Congress. I hate to admit that, but we were. And then we got called to be a mission president and mission leaders in London, which was a huge turning point in our lives. And people have said, why did, why did you go when you were so young? And my theory is that God on high wanted to save the world from Richard Iyer as a politician. <laughs> <laughs> he, he knew that I would have been awful and so we but anyway then we left from utah and went on that mission and came back and we've had a presence in utah ever since all because of neil maxwell now let's get to neil maxwell let's do that before. and let's talk about this wonderful message what do you what do you think of when you think of him one of our mentors one of our friends someone who was amazingly important in our lives the word that comes to mind is awe i mean we were always in awe of him. Everyone was because 
he had such a magnificent mind. He was such a follower of C.S. Lewis, and he kind of was a C.S. Lewis in his own right because he had such a magnificent mind. Well, let's take a brief break, Linda, and when we come back, let's talk about what we think is one of the classic messages of Neil Maxwell, and it has to do with the word desire, and it has to do with, really, it has a lot to do with parenting and with marriage. It has to do with the desires of our hearts. Absolutely. I am I'm excited to talk about this, too, because we all need to examine our hearts more often. Hang on. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back. Um, we hope you're enjoying your summers and children and families because that's what this is all about. And that's why we were drawn to this speech by Elder Maxwell because, uh, first of all, he was a fabulous family man, but also he has so much to, to teach us. I want to read you just the beginning of this of this message because it will give you an idea not only why this word desire is so important, but also it'll give you an idea of the incredible sort of alliteration and assonance and articulateness that Elder Maxwell was so famous for. He starts out this way. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures offer us so many doctrinal diamonds. And when the light of the Spirit plays upon their several facets, they sparkle with celestial sense and illuminate the path we are to follow. Exemplifying this happy reality are the doctrinal teachings concerning desire. So Linda, talking about desires, it's just such an interesting thing because it's a constant conflict between sort of carnal, mortal desires and holy desires, spiritual desires, and trying to find that balance. Um, This is so interesting. We're going to read you just this one little part about how this transition occurs. Thus, a crystal clear understanding of the doctrines pertaining to desire is so vital because of the spreading, effluent, oozing out of so many unjustified excuses by so many. I love that, unjustified excuses. And by the way, effluent means sludge or... Liquid waste. Liquid waste (laughs) or sewage. This is like a sludge which is sweeping society along toward the gulf of misery and endless woe. I love that. Um, Feeding that same flow is the selfish philosophy of no fault, which which is replacing the meek and apologetic my fault. That is really fascinating. We just don't take responsibility. Everybody, I mean, don't all kids do that? I didn't do, I wasn't my fault, it wasn't my fault. Instead of saying, and you and I, when we get in little arguments once in a while, uh, it really is interesting that we both think, well, that wasn't my fault, it was your fault. Um, Because you didn't do this or you didn't do that. And it really is 
uh, creeping thing that is affecting our way of thinking. And it gets back to what you said earlier, honey, about desire, righteous desire, has a passion about it. And Elder Maxwell quotes Brigham Young, who said this. He said, do you think that people will obey the truth because it is true unless they love it? No, they will not. The idea that it's not about what you've studied or learned or what you feel like you know in your mind. It's about your passion. It's about your love. It's about your desires, right? Absolutely. And I think sometimes if we just remember that, what do I really want here? Um, and sometimes we want our kids to be a way, be the way we want them to be. And it isn't the way they want to be. So that is clashing also. Yeah, yeah. But we desire for them to be happy, right? And to be the, their best selves. So really what you're saying is if our desires are really for our children, not for our own ego, not for wanting to be proud because they excel or something, but if our desires are really unselfishly turned toward finding out who these children really are because we believe they came from another place and they were already who they are before they were born. They, uh, This seedlings thing is so interesting to me because, you know, they are wrapped up in a little seed and it might be an apple tree, it might be orange tree, it might be a lemon tree. You just yeah. never know what's going to be, what's going to come out of that seed. And we can do the very best we can, but it really makes a big difference if we our desire is for them to be the best that they can be. And of course it applies to the building of our own faith, too, because uh, this beautiful scripture in the book of Alma that says, even if you can no more than desire to believe, you may not believe yet. You may not have the faith you want to have, but just the desire to believe that. It's back to what you said, it's the direction we're going, right? If we're moving in a good direction with these desires. So let's end with just one more thought that relates directly to our parenting, and maybe this will take some of us off of our guilt trip. He says, unquestionably, parents have such a profound role in assisting in the educating of our desires, especially when parents combine explanation and example. Even so, given our responsibilities for our own desires, we should not be surprised that Adam and Eve, such superb parents who conscientiously taught all things to their children, still lost some of them. Let's end on that. Let's, let's make that point, Linda, before we conclude, that parents, <laughs> don't beat yourself up too much. Your children are already who they are. Do your best. Focus on your desires, right? the direction of your desires, and whether they are becoming more selfless and more holy, little by little, little by little. We um, really advise that, and we are talking to ourselves as well. Absolutely. So I think it kind of comes down to our desires being centered, and you're so good at this, honey, on, on meeting the needs of others and making other people find their full potential, their full stewardships, and be happy, especially our children. You know, I've just um, been acquainted with a wonderful little video by Yo-Yo Ma, who has such a passion for beautiful music. 
but also for loving people and, and wanting people to love what he loves. And his world tour, going all around the world to 20 different countries, I think, uh, playing his cello and going into classrooms and, t- and teaching people what a difference music can make in their lives. Wow, I mean, that passion is so obvious in his life. And he does change a lot of lives because of his passion. And I do think that passion has such an amazing, amazing effect. Yeah, that is really powerful, honey. And, and that's where Elder Maxwell goes with this in terms of getting, and this is a comforting little thing I want to read you. He says, unquestionably, parents have such a profound role in assisting in the educated desires, especially when parents combine explanation and example. Even so, given our responsibility for our own desires, we should not be surprised that Adam and Eve, such superb parents who conscientiously taught all things to their children, still lost some of them. Um, no parent is perfect. And, and part of the beauty of, of the gospel, as we understand it, is knowing that these children come from another place. They come from a pre-mortal life. We did not create them. And so they come with who they are. They come with their own propensities, their own issues, their own problems, their own gifts. And we should never imagine that we have control over all exactly. of their desires. And we shouldn't beat ourselves or up. Or blame ourselves, yeah, things for go anything the wrong that way. goes wrong. Because we have said over and over again, you know, we, we have these little seedlings that come to our family. And we do all we can to give them water and light and sunshine and fertilizer and everything we can. But they are who they are. <laughs> and they're going to be that little seed. I mean, we can try to make them the best that we can, but it is up to them to um, be who they really are. And sometimes those things are hard because they are not exactly what we would want. So here's the close of this wonderful message. Brothers and sisters, a loving, this is from Elder Maxwell, a loving God will work with us, but the initiating particle of desire which ignites the spark of resolve must be our own. And then this final quote that he gives from Joseph Smith. This is so interesting, honey, because the, all of life is a, an effort to try to purify desires or to elevate them to to make them less base and more more holy and and so the joseph smith quote is the nearer man approaches perfection the clearer are his views and the greater his enjoyments until he has overcome the evils of this life and lost every desire for sin now that seems pretty far-fetched i mean you know perfection is a long way off but I think what you said earlier, it's the direction. If we're moving in the direction where our desires are getting less selfish, more about stewardship of others, more about becoming better people. And more accepting of who our kids really are. That makes a huge difference. I mean, that you have to direct your thoughts that way, too. And, and so his last line, how he ends, may God help us to train our desires. Yes, I love it. Pretty powerful. So good luck on your desires. Um, Good luck on ours. (laughs) (laughs) And um, 
We are so glad that you joined us today just for thinking about this for a few minutes. We hope it makes a difference in your week. And join us again next time on Hires on the Road. We love you. See you next time.